Father, as we come to chapter 24, there's just so many great lessons that we can learn here uh, that you give us in this text. And uh, one of those lessons we're going to see at the very end of this chapter is as Isaac goes out in the field to just meditate uh, on you, Lord, to put all of his focus on you. What a great uh, practice that is, if we can learn to do it. And we're going to explore that a little bit today, Lord, so we just ask for your help because it's such an important topic. I I think sometimes our prayer lives grow so stale because, uh, Lord, all we're concerned about is 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 ourselves uh, we're concerned about intercessory prayer lord i know you know that's a good thing but lord there needs to come to point and i know my life lord i confess and i know probably uh, just about everybody in this room can say the same thing lord that we just don't spend enough time focusing just on you and and uh, lord so help us to maybe learn how to do that help us to be inspired to do that as we look at this text today and then uh, take us through the rest of it, Lord, by the power of your spirit and help us to learn the lessons you would have us to learn. We just thank you for the fact that you've given us your word. We thank you for the word of God, Jesus Christ, who, who made all of this possible, Lord, uh, by dying on a cross and, and being raised on the third day and giving us his spirit so that, Lord, we can understand the things of the spirit of God. Father, if there's anyone here today who who this who looks at this word and it seems strange and and hard to understand lord convict them today that what they're missing is is your spirit and the only way to have your spirit is to come to christ and come to his cross and lord as we celebrate the lord's supper today help us to be focused on that as as believers and lord if there's any unbelievers in here today uh open their hearts lord to to hear your word and to be drawn close to you we just ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, it's in his name that I pray, amen. Okay, uh, in last week's study, uh, Abraham had sent his son, or actually had sent his servant Eleazar off to find a bride for his son. And uh, uh, as we finish up today in chapter 24, Eleazar is going to return with the bride for Isaac. Uh, and then as we get towards the end of the chapter, right before uh, Eleazar returns, we're going to see Isaac out in a field, and he's going to be doing, it doesn't say he's praying, it says that he's out in the field meditating on the Lord. Now that sounds a lot like a first century American, I mean a 21st century American to me, because Americans are really into meditation. Uh, there's all sorts of meditation that, that uh, our society engages in. There's yoga, there's Zen meditation, there's transcendental meditation, uh, there's a thing called body relaxation, uh, uh, there's a thing called loving kindness uh, meditation where you focus on someone you love or something you love. Uh, and psychologists are lauding the benefits of engaging in the practice of meditation. Uh, they say it reduces stress. Uh, they say uh, because the stress is reduced that you have a healthier body and you have a healthier mind. Uh, and it, one of the things they say meditation does for a human being, it teaches us to focus. 
focus on something other than ourselves. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And because we learn to focus, we learn to listen to others. You know, you can tell a lot about people about how they listen, where their focus is. I mean, people that just talk and talk and talk and never listen, uh, their focus is on themselves. And so I guess maybe that's sort of a good thing, too. And the other thing that psychologists say that meditation does is that it builds self-confidence. And, and, and there's all of these forms of meditations, and so it's considered an art. I mean, there's, and, and, and so there's all sorts of methods that are used in these different forms of meditation, uh, and it becomes an art. And, and, and maybe a lot of the same methods uh, are universal for all types of meditation, uh, things like uh, a person getting alone. Uh, some forms of meditation they do, like yoga, you see them doing it in groups. But, but in most forms of meditation, the first thing you do, you want to get alone. Uh, then you want to uh, sit in a comfortable position. Now, I see these people contorting their bodies doing this meditation. and I, It doesn't look very comfortable to me, but they say it's comfortable. Uh, then you want to close your eyes. And then you want to just breathe, and you want to breathe in and out, and you don't want to think about your breathing. In some forms of meditation, that's all you do. You think about your breathing. But uh, you, you breathe normally, and, and your focus, you take your focus off yourself, and you put it on one particular thing. Uh, like your breathing in some forms of meditation, it might be that you put all your focus on a particular word, uh, on a particular mind picture, maybe a bird from nature or a tree or something like that. Uh, and if you're into loving kindness, what they call loving kindness meditation, you put your focus on someone you love or something you love. And all of this with the goal of reaching what some call nirvana, this state of just where you're just totally outside the world, you're totally off to yourself, you're totally relaxed, you're totally at peace, you're totally filled with joy. And, he, and, and, and you can even go past nirvana in some of these forms of meditation, supposedly, and you can make contact with this pantheistic, impersonal force. And, and so, so uh, it's really an art. Now, I don't think Isaac, when we get to... to to verse 63, I believe it is, Isaac was engaged in the kind of meditation that I've just been describing. Uh, but certainly, I believe he used some of those methods. And, and we'll discuss that art of meditation when we get to, to the last part of chapter 24. But before we get there, and that's where we're going to camp a little bit when we get there, but before we get there, let's first go back and, and uh, get back to this situation where Eliezer is out looking for a bride for, for uh, Isaac. And you remember last time, uh, Eliezer had traveled over 500 miles into Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, and, and he was looking for a bride for Isaac. And really, it was an impossible task, if you think about it, because he was going to have to convince this woman to go back with him uh, through this wilderness, 500 miles or more than 500 miles, and marry someone that she had never seen. And he was going to have to convince her family to let her go. So really, it, to him, I think it almost looked impossible. But he, he finally, he makes the trip, the long trip, and we don't get any details about the trip, but he arrives at this well. And, 
outside the city of Nahor, and he asked God for a sign, what we called last week a miracle of providence. He asked God. He doesn't ask God to, to light up the sky or do anything like that. He just asked him, hey, you set all these circumstances in order, and I will know that this woman is the woman that you've chosen to be the bride for Isaac. And, and so he asked God to bring his bride to the well at the exact time he's there and, and to, to let her show him kindness by not only giving him water, but by watering his camels. And then the other thing that she was going to, the, the, the other criteria she was going to have to meet, she was going to have to be close kin to Abraham. And so really, you know, he's thinking this is impossible, but, but with, with God, all things are possible. And so he asked the Lord for this sign. And sure enough, Abraham's great niece arrives at the well. Uh, her name's Rebecca. And she shows up and she gives him water and she offers to give his camels water and she gives his camels water. And then, you know, Eleazar is just standing there and he's amazed that God has done this. And uh, uh, then he uh, asks her what family she's from. And she says, I'm the daughter of Bethiel, uh, the son of Nahar. And uh, my mother's name is Milcah. And he knows this has got to be the right woman. And so he adorns her with jewelry, and she runs home and tells her family. And what does Eleazar do? He falls on his face, and he worships God. I really like that. And then uh, once she got home, that's where we're going to pick up now. Let's pick up the story in verse number 29. Now Rebecca, now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Do you remember that name? And Laban ran out. To the man by the well. Now she's come home and Rebecca's told Laban what's transpired. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets in his sister's wrist. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying thus and thus the man spoke to me. So she tells him all that the man had said to her. And that he went out to the man and there he stood by the camels at the well. There Eliezer stood by the camels at the well. All right. Now, this is our first encounter with old Uncle Laban. We're going to see him later on. Uh, he's the brother of Rebecca, and he, he's going to be the, one of the main characters in the story of uh, Jacob and Rachel. We're going to see a lot about him later on, and what we're going to learn about him when we see him in these coming chapters, these upcoming chapters, is that he's a worldly man. He's what you would call a wheeler dealer. I mean, he was always looking for a way to make a buck, or you might say a way to make a shekel. I mean, he was, he was, he was, in, he was, he was a, a quintessential, quintessential uh, wheeler dealer. And so what's the first thing he notices when he sees his sister coming home from the well? He sees that giant nose ring, that gold nose ring. Of course, I would kind of notice that too. But he sees those, it'll look kind of weird to me. You see that in our society now. And then you, then you see the, 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 he sees all of these gold bracelets. Now, what he's looking at is that gold. And, and he sees dollar signs in his eyes. And, and uh, uh, so that tells him that, hey, this servant, it serves a man who's very, very rich. And Laban wants to be the first man to meet him. So in verse number 31, look at what it says. It says, and he said to him, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Hey, man, come on in. Now, it's interesting that Eliezer calls him, Oh, blessed of the Lord. Now, the word Lord there is Jehovah. So it almost looks like uh, Laban is a believer. 
But he's not a believer. Later on, we're going to see that he's a polytheist. I mean, he, he worships multiple gods. Uh, so he's not a worshiper of Yahweh. That was just a saying in that day, a gr- way of greeting people in that day. Kind of like when people say, oh, my God. They don't really, they're not worshiping God when they say that. Actually, you know what they're doing? They're blaspheming God. Be careful with those kind of things. When you say, oh, Lord, I'm guilty of saying that sometimes. Something happens, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. You know, when, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And I think really that's what Laban was doing here. He didn't, I don't think he cared anything about the Lord, but he knew something of the Lord, which is interesting. He knew something of Jehovah. So he invites Eliezer into his house and tells him he's got plenty of room for Eliezer and his cattle and, his, and Eliezer, the men that are with the other servants that are with Eliezer. And so he invites him on in. Then in verse number 32, the man Eliezer came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat. Wine, no doubt wine was set there before him. And he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. And Laban says to him, speak on. So Eliezer has pressing business and he knows where this is all heading. He knows that there's going to be a great, a big meal. There's going to be wine. People are going to get drunk. And he wants to get this matter settled while everybody's sober. And so he says, hey, I'm not going to eat until until, uh, we get this matter settled. So so Laban says, speak on. So verse number 34, he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him uh, flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. I mean, he is a very, very wealthy man. And Laban is licking his chops at this point. Uh, uh, now, I believe more than likely because Abraham was such a famous man in the world at that point, that word had gotten back to them that, that hey, man, you, you know, third, secondhand, that a- Abraham was doing really well. But now he gets it firsthand. He gets it from Abraham's uh, st- main steward. And so he, he knows his business. And he tells Laban, and I think Laban is really excited about this. Then in, verse, uh, then in verse 36, And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, Isaac, uh, Abraham has given all that he has. Now it's really getting interesting uh, for Rebecca and his family, especially old Uncle Laban. Because Isaac is the sole heir of everything that Abraham Owns. He's one of the richest men in the world, and Isaac's going to get it all. So Rebecca's going, wow, this is pretty cool. And Laban's going, this is really cool. Uh, and, and, you know, Ishmael's out of the story. He's, he's gone, and so Isaac's the only heir. Then verse 37, uh, now my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife from, from my son, for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house, uh, to the land of my fathers, and to my family, and take a wife for my son from there. Now, imagine what's going on in Rebecca's mind at this point. Uh, Eliezer's come to get a bride, and she's it. She's the one. So she's excited. And I, don't, I have no doubt Laban was smiling at this point because he said, my sister's going to be 
really, really rich. I mean, these were rich people. But I'm going to, somehow I'm going to use this and I'm going to get even richer. And uh, probably, Laban's thinking, this guy's going to give me a really large dowry for my sister. So pick up now in, in verse number 39. Verse number 39. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman uh, will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way, and you shall take a wife from my son, from my family, and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath uh, if if they don't uh, if you can't find a wife when you arrive. That he's going to describe that now among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from from my oath. And the day. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, he's going to tell them everything that happened. O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of the water and I will, and it will come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will also draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my Master son, and we talked about that last week. There was there's no woman that was going to do that, so it was going to be it was an impossible thing fleece that he laid out there for the Lord to fulfill, and and now he describes to them the miracle. Look at verse number forty five. He says, "But before I've even finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink." And she made haste and let her pitcher uh, down from her shoulder and said, Oh, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahar's son, whom Milcah bore to him. Uh, So she's met every criteria now. Uh, And so I put a nose ring on her nose and bracelets in her wrist. And I bowed my head and I worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. I mean, I'll, let, let's settle this issue right now. Either I'm going to go uh, or, or by myself, or she's going to go with me. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. The, here, here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her uh, be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. We, we see that this is a miracle. Anybody looking at this with any common sense would know that this is a miracle. That all of these things that he had asked for all fell perfectly into place. And so they see that, they, they, that this has to be the Lord. And it didn't hurt much that he was a very rich man either. So, so they say, hey, you can take her with you. Then in verse number 52... Verse number 52, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord 
bowing, falling down on the earth, face first down on the earth, and he worshiped the Lord. Who does that remind you of? You remember Moses? Whenever Moses had any kind of difficulty, what did he do? He didn't, he didn't sit and try to figure it out. What did he do? He fell on his face and worshiped the Lord. When anything really good happened in Moses' life, he didn't waste any time and delay it. He fell on his face and he worshiped the Lord. And Eliezer was just like that. When, when Eliezer faced a problem or when Eliezer saw the Lord work in his life, he didn't, he didn't wait to, to thank the Lord. He immediately fell on his face and he worshiped the Lord. That's a good habit to get into. I, I wonder what your neighbors and your friends would think, your coworkers would think, if every time something good happened at work, you just fell on your face and worshiped the Lord. I probably would in this culture, I wouldn't advise that, but uh, it would be interesting to see what they would do. It, it, he's, he, he's in the midst of, I think for the most part, these people are, 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 are pagans, kind of, kind of mixed with the wor- Yahweh worship. So, so uh, they were probably surprised to see him do that. But, hey, they're taken back by this, too, the fact that God has worked a miracle uh, in, in Eleazar's life and also in Rebekah's life and Isaac's life. And it's going to end up in their life, too. It's going to affect their lives, too. Then the servant brought out, and Laban's loving this, the jewelry of silver, uh, jewelry of gold, and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. And here's the good part for Laban. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Probably at this point, uh, Bethuel is, is, is either a crippled or or you know, has dementia or something like that because, because everything's going to Laban. Laban is kind of in charge of the family at this point. So, so, so Bethel is really out of the picture. Nahar is dead at this point. And he's, he and the man who were with them, uh, Eliezer and the man who were with him, then ate and drank wine, and they stayed all night, and they had a party late into the night, and they arose in the morning, and he said, send me away to my master. Now, he kind of shocks them here. Uh, he, 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 he does the right thing. Uh, he, he takes care of his business. Then he allows the party to take place. And then when the party's all over and he's, it's time to go to bed, uh, or when they got up the next morning, I'm sorry, he, he said, hey, I'm ready to go. Send me away right now to my master. I can't wait to get back to tell Abraham everything that's happened. I can't wait to get back and let Isaac see his bride. I can't wait to tell them the miracle that the Lord performed when I found Isaac's bride. And so he's anxious to get on the road, and he's got a long journey to make, and, and uh, so, so he's ready to go. All right, then in verse number, I believe we're at 55. But her brother and her mother said, and, and you can understand this. I mean, they don't want to lose her right that moment, at that very moment. So they said, let the young woman stay for us a few days, at least 10 days. So really, they were thinking more than 10 days. They were probably thinking a month or several months. We know how old Uncle Laban worked. Jacob got over there. And how long did it take him to get away? 21 years to get out of the web of old Uncle Laban. Uh, Eliezer was smarter than Jacob. He wasn't going to stay there long. He knew he needed to get out of there. And he said to them, do not hinder me, since the Lord has profited my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. He knew the dangers of waiting. He knew that people, I, I, I've been around long enough to know that people get cold feet. 
people make promises one day that they break the next day. Uh, they're excited about something one day, and they're not excited about it the next day. Uh, you try to make a deal with somebody, and, and they're all ready to do it, and then a few days later they've slept on it, they don't want to do it anymore. That's why when you go in and try to buy a car or something, they're going to press you to not walk out of that building because they know if you get away and think about it, you're probably not going to do it. That's why it's probably a pretty good, not, good idea not to do it. Uh, if, if, when you're pressed in a situation like that, to wait on it a little bit. But he wants to get out of there. He wants to get out of there, and uh, he understood that, that if he didn't leave then, that, that uh, uh, it could, it, the whole thing could be delayed. Then in verse number 57, So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Now, I, I think that... They figured that Rebecca wasn't going to want to go that quick. And I think they felt she was going to delay the thing. But she's going to surprise them. Then they called Rebecca. Now, this is the first time they brought, asked for Rebecca to have any kind of say in this whole matter. But, uh, they, so this is surprising what she does. So then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And, I mean, she doesn't hesitate. She says, I will go. I mean, that—that's. I will leave my homeland, and I will go. You know, I've got to believe that Rebecca was a believer, sort of a believer, at least at this point. I know this for sure. God had touched her heart. God, yeah, God would have had to have touched her heart to have gotten her to do because she turns out to be a woman of lots of characters. So, so God would have had to really touch her heart uh, to get her to do something this drastic, this quick. So no doubt, God called her out of her homeland. Just like he called Abraham years before. He touched Abraham's heart. And he said, leave the land of Chaldea. And now he's touching Rebekah's heart. And he's telling her to leave the land of Chaldea. Then in verse number 59, so they went away, Rebekah their sister and her nurse and their maid. She's going to take her maids too. And Abraham's servants and his man. And then the family of Rebekah blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become a mother of a thousands of thousands of ten thousands. Now a thousand times ten thousand is ten million. And this is more than ten million. There's actually about 10 million people in Israel right now. So this would probably reflect a prophecy about every generation of Israelites. When they were in the land, there was probably about 10 million of them before they went into those various captivities and before they were scattered after Rome. But now there's about 10 million, 10 million of them in that land now. And look at this prophecy, this last part. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Now, if you look at the nation of Israel, especially in ancient culture, the nation of Israel was a land bridge where if you wanted to get down into Africa, you had to go through Israel. If you wanted to go uh, to the east into, into, into Jordan and that area, you had to go through Israel. If you wanted to go over to Europe, the best place to leave from would have been out of Israel, out of that area, maybe Tyre or Sidon, somewhere in that. So Syria and Jordan and, and Egypt and Africa, all of those things, Israel was kind of a gateway to all of those nations. And, and it says here, may they possess the gates of those who love them. No, those who hate them. All of those nations that surround Israel hate them. And one of the reasons, 
I mean, it's, and they're right in the middle of all those nations. That's one of the reasons it, 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 it gets them so angry and the reason they hate Israel so much is that Israel actually possesses the gates to those nations. And so, so that prophecy has been fulfilled. Then, then in verse number 61, Rebekah and her master arose and they rode on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and they departed. Now, I would have loved to have heard the conversations that Rebecca and Eleazar had over the next few months as they made this trip into Canaan. I bet she asked, asked him a boatload of questions, and he was ready to give her answers. Uh, kind of like a little child. Uh, you you, you want to find out something about somebody's family? Just ask their little child. They will tell you everything. I was at the hospital the other night with, and sitting with Clara while, while, uh, while, while we were there. And, and uh, she, I, I asked her, I could ask her anything she'd give me the answer. I mean, I, I, I knew more about Anderson and Robin than I ever knew about them before. And I was tempted to ask some really deep questions, but I didn't go there. But I could just see Rebecca, and she's just... She's just picking Eleazar's mind. I mean, what's, it, what's he look like? I mean, what's his character like? Uh, how did he get here? And he told her the story of how when Abraham was, you know, 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, he was born. He told him about the story, I'm sure, about how he had gone up to Mount Moriah and he was going to be a sacrifice. And, and he had seen the angel of the Lord and, and the angel of the Lord had stopped the sacrifice. The angel of the Lord said, I'm Jehovah Jireh, I will provide the sacrifice. And, and, and I'm sure he told him about all of these stories. And, and so, I mean, she knew all about them by the, time, by the time she got there. And then we pick up in verse number 62. Now, Isaac, we, we're going back to Beersheba now and back to, to a different setting. Uh, he's waiting on his bride. Now, Isaac came from the way of Beer, uh, Laha Roy, for he, for he dwelt in the south. That's the Negev again. So, no doubt, uh, Isaac is dwelling still in Beersheba because it, it says that he came from the south up to Beer Laharoi. So south of that would be Beersheba. And Beer Laharoi is still in the wilderness of Beersheba. So, so they're still living in Beersheba, I'm pretty sure, at this point. And he comes to Beer Laharoi. Do you remember that place? That was the place where Hagar and Ishmael landed when, 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 they, when Abraham and Sarah and all them were living in Hebron. And they kicked them out. And they went south, and they went, and they landed at this place called the Bir Laharoi. And what does Bir Laharoi mean? It, it means the way of the living one, or the well, I'm sorry, of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one who sees me. And if you remember the story, Hagar saw and spoke with the angel of the Lord. And so... Uh, it's a very significant place. Ishmael knew the, I mean, Ish, uh, Isaac more than likely knew the story about his half-brother's experience with the angel of the Lord. And so he wants to go to, the, to Laharoi. He wants to go to the well at Laharoi. Why? Because he wants to encounter 
the angel of the Lord. He wants to speak with the angel of the Lord. And what better place to find him than the place where, where, uh, uh, where Ishmael and Hagar had found him. And, and so he wants to be along with the Lord. And then we pick up in verse number 63. And here's where we'll camp just a few seconds, a few minutes. It says, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. Now, I want to stop there for a few minutes and think about that. He went out. He's at Bir Laharoi, where, he had, where his half-brother had encountered the angel of the Lord. And uh, he went out in a field there to meditate. To meditate. Uh, and and uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Isaac's art of meditation. We aren't told exactly how he did it, but, but I think we can figure it out. And somebody at this point would say, well, isn't meditation the same as prayer? Well, meditation is a form of prayer. But most of our prayers, and you can take your own inventory on this subject if you want to, most of our prayers are not meditation. I mean, I come here on Wednesday night, and I don't, we don't do any meditating, zero. And I don't know that we should. I'm not saying that we should. But what are, our, what are most of our prayers? We're asking God for something. We're asking God, we're giving God a list of our requests, and we're asking him to give us answers to our request. Now, Isaac wasn't doing that that day, because the, the Bible has words for prayer and it has words for meditation. And this is the word meditation. So he went out with one specific goal, and that was to meditate on the Lord. Now, you think maybe he had done some praying about this issue of, of finding a bride? You better believe he did. No doubt he had fretted and worried and, and, and gone through all sorts of mental gymnastics on this subject of finding a bride. And, and I'm sure he had asked the Lord, first of all, he said, Lord, you know, I lost my mother. And he was a mother's boy and he loved his mother. He said, Lord, help me overcome that grief and help me find a bride. And, and so he had prayed when Abraham had sent Eliezer out. No doubt he had prayed that Eliezer would have a successful and safe trip. He prayed for traveling mercies, I think what we like to call it. So he prayed for that. Uh, no doubt he, he prayed, Lord, let him find me a wife. Let him be successful. And I'm sure he prayed, prayed things like, let her be a godly woman. I, please let her be a godly woman. I don't want a heathen wife or we would have found one here in Canaan. Let her be a, you know, he might have prayed something like, let her be a kind woman. It, it'd really be nice to have a kind wife. And, and it won't hurt if she's smart, Lord. Let her be a smart woman. And it would be really nice, Lord, if she's good looking. Uh, please don't give me a six foot eight ugly wife. I don't want that. Give me a beautiful wife. And, and really more importantly, Lord, please don't give me a she-devil. Don't give me one of those. Uh, uh, what he prayed for, no doubt, was the perfect wife. And I believe he got the perfect wife. The Lord will answer that prayer for you too, you younger people in here. You pray and give the Lord time, you will find the perfect wife. You go out and do it yourself, you won't. But if you pray and you wait, like Isaac had to wait. I mean, he was 37 years old at this point. You might have to wait till you're 37 years old. But if you pray, and you wait, you'll be glad you did when you find that right person. And no doubt Isaac had worried about all of this. 
And he had fretted about all this. Now he was praying about it all the time. But now he's going to do something different. He's going to just trust the Lord. He's just going to lay it at the Lord's feet. Have you ever done that? You've been fretting or worrying about something and you, you just you keep praying about it. And really, sometimes, you know what your prayers are? They're just a manifestation of your fretting and your worrying. And, 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 and you don't get an answer from the Lord. And if you don't get an answer from the Lord, the Lord's telling you either no or he's telling you wait. More than likely, he's telling you to wait and trust me. And when you trust him, you have to lay that stuff aside. And that's the beautiful part of the story right here. Isaac, the most important, one of the most important, if not the most important thing in his life is about to take place. And he's just going to trust the Lord. He's going to put it in the Lord's hand and he's going to go out into this field and he's going to meditate on the Lord. Now, what did he, how did he do it? We don't know. We're not given that. I think meditation is a pretty private thing. And I don't know that you can, you can uh, come up with a specific formula for meditation. But I'll tell you this. I believe that some of the things that the pagans do, that the secularists do, uh, when they meditate, some of their methods are things that we need to adopt. Now, now, actually, you know what we're adopting when we do that? We're actually adopting God's way of meditation because you know what the devil does? He counterfeits the good things of God. And that's what all of this Zen Buddhism and, and yoga and transcendental meditation and all that kind of stuff, you know what they are? They are a, they're very close to being the right thing to do, but they end up being... Demonic, they end up, people that are engaged in that end up being involved in demonic activity. And so, so uh, but, with, you know, that doesn't mean that those methods aren't something that we can't use. And, and I think that's, that's definitely true with meditation. Now, meditation for most Christians become a bad word. When I, when I started talking about meditation, I, was, I saw people look at me like, what is he talking about? He's not going to bring that demonic stuff in here today and into this church, is he? And, I mean, what's he talking about? But it's really sad that we've, we've come to a point where we, don't, we think it's something evil to meditate. It's not evil to meditate. It's a very good thing to meditate. And like I say, uh, we can learn something from the art of meditation used by pagans. So I, so I want to just, just propose some things that maybe Isaac used when he went out that day to meditate with the Lord. Well, first of all, we know that he went out and he found a place where he could be all alone with the Lord. That's a really good thing. What did, that's what pagans do when they meditate for the most part. I already mentioned that. But what did Jesus say? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. That's the best kind of prayer you can have. You know, I, I believe in corporate prayer, but but. That, that's, really, that's really the tip of the iceberg of what prayer should be. I mean, your, your prayer time should be you by yourself in your closet with your door shut. I mean, I believe with praying with your spouse. I think that's one of the, the most important thing a couple can do. But you still got to take time yourself and get along with the Lord and shut the door and meditate on him. Now, you got to close your eyes. Do you have to close your eyes? No. But if you don't close your eyes, if I pray right now, 
I'm thinking about that brown timber up there and not the Lord. If I'm in my closet, oh, my shirts look really wrinkled today. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I need to rearrange those shirts. You, got that, you close your eyes to open your eyes to spiritual things. That's what you're doing when you close your eyes. And you get in a comfortable position. Now, I believe the most comfortable position for me when I'm in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is the same position that Eliezer was in, and that's on my face before him. Because it's pretty uncomfortable to, 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 to be too bold and, uh, when we stand in the presence of the Lord. We stand in the presence of the Lord, but it's a really good thing to do it on your face. Now, I actually do it on my back because my sinuses won't let me do it on my face. I get stuffed up, and, and then I, I, I can't pray. And so I, I lay on my back. You do it. Just something comfortable. Uh, uh, then, like pagan meditation, which is, again, just a counterfeit of godly meditation, Christian meditation, I think we're to focus all our thoughts on one thing. One thing. Not our breathing. Not a particular word. Not a particular picture of some scene in nature. We're to focus our thought on one thing. And that's on Jesus Christ. When you're meditating, when, you're, when, when all we're doing is interceding for others... When all we're doing is praying for ourselves, we always intercede for others first, and then we pray for ourselves, and really we would have prayed for ourselves first if we'd done what we really wanted to do. But, but those things are good. And, and a, lot of, you know, a lot of the prayers in, Bible, in the Bible, that's what they are. But, but our focus when we're meditating should be on the Lord. And I think a lot of our prayer should be meditation. Our focus should be solely on him. That's a very hard thing to do. That's why the Lord says it's impossible to please him without faith. Those that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews eleven six. I mean, diligently seek him. It is not easy to go into your closet and focus on the Lord. But there's great rewards in doing it. I mean, we want to put all of our focus on the Lord. It's sort of like this loving, this thing the secularists call loving kindness meditation. We focus on one person, one thing that we love. And and we ought to be able to, if we love Jesus Christ, we ought to be able to focus on him because we love him. Now, just just how 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 do you focus on the Lord? Well, you know, sometimes it might be one verse. You know, I could take that passage he made of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in him. Now, you could sit and focus on that for hours. If you really think that through and you meditate on that one verse, you can, I mean, just the fact he made him, God in the flesh, Sin for us. I mean, Lord, thank you. Think of the gratitude that brings into your heart. Take just one passage, one verse. We, we're, we, you know, we all want to read the Bible through in one year or one week or one month or something like that. Sometimes it's, it's, it, we're to chew the cud. We're like the, we, we should be like the cows. We, we should chew that cud. We grab that one word and we should just feed on that one word and, and spend some time in it. It could be one psalm. 
You could take one psalm and just, not 119, you're not going to do that in, in a day, but you could take one psalm and you can, you can you just use that psalm to help you focus on the Lord. A hymn, it might be your favorite hymn, just sit in there and sing that hymn to the Lord. Sing, sing that hymn, count your blessings. Name them one by one and then just do that. I mean, because meditation often is just thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for all he's done, taking time instead of asking God for thanks, thanking him for all... He's done. Think of all the things that Isaac had to thank the Lord for. So he could have just sat out in that field and he could have just thanked the Lord and thanked the Lord and thanked the Lord. Instead of, Lord, what are you going to, what are you, you going to do this? What are you going to, you know, what's she going to look like? You know, all of these kind of things. It's, I'm sure he had done all that. But I think he was tired of that and he wanted, he wanted to get close to the Lord. So you can thank the Lord. You might use a devotional. You might use something like, Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. You know, something like that to get you focused on the Lord. But put your focus on the Lord. And then what's our goal in all of that? Our goal shouldn't be to come in contact with some impersonal force, but in contact with the force of Almighty God. You know, you can do that. If you diligently seek the Lord, you can actually come into his presence and experience his presence physically. If you diligently seek the Lord, if you've never done that, if you've never felt the physical presence of the Lord when you pray, it's because you're not meditating. You haven't really been diligent in your prayers. If you want to find, if you seek God with all your heart, what's the Bible say? You will find him and you will find him in a way you least expect in a magnificent way, in an amazing way. Now, there's all sorts of benefits to meditation. All sorts of benefits. First of all, I mean, you, you go right through that list I went through in the introduction. It reduces stress. You, you, there's no way when you're truly in the presence of God that you can be stressed about anything. If you experience God's presence, there's, there's nothing that, that, that can worry you, nothing that can make you fret, because you know Almighty God is bigger than any problem that you might have. And so it reduces stress. And when you, when, when you reduce your stress, you reduce your dependence upon alcohol and drugs, you, re, you reduce, your, your, uh, you reduce your, your, the harm that you're doing to your body through worry, uh, all of those things uh, are are good for you. They're good for your health. They're good for the health of your mind. They're good for the health of your body. And, and when we learn to focus on God, when we can truly put our focus on God, then we can put the right focus on our families. We can put the right focus on everyone else. And then I, I tell you what, you can tell a good listener, a good listener is a good prayer, a good meditator, a person who really listens his focus is, or her focus is not on herself or his, himself. Their, their focus is on the Lord, a loving God. And so they're full of his love. And so their focus is on the person that they're talking to. And their focus is, so when you're focused on someone in an unselfish manner, you're a good listener and not so much a good talker. Now, there's times to talk, certainly. I'm doing it now. And y'all being good listeners here. And, and it does... Meditation does build self-confidence. I see so many Christians who are beaten down to nothing 
who, who have no self-confidence. I have self-confidence through meditation, not because I have confidence in myself, but because I have confidence in the one who lives in me. And that gives me confidence in myself. I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more, we're more than conquerors uh, through in Jesus Christ. So, so we, we build confidence. I mean, it's still, it, it's confidence in God, but it reflects in a self-confidence in, in, in the fact that we're not worried about the things of this world. So, meditation's a great thing. You know, Paul summarized the art of meditation like this in Colossians 3, 2, when he exhorted us to set our mind on things above and not on the things of this earth. Now, that, that's kind of a way to live, but it's also what you do when you're meditating on the Lord. You set your mind on things above. When you go into your closet, you truly open your spiritual eyes and look to heaven and look for Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Is that your priority in prayer? It, it's not mine very often. Sometimes it is. But that's what it should be every time. Every time we go to the Lord in prayer, we should set our minds on Christ and not on things of this earth. And, and that'll kind of get rid of the gimmies, you know, where we're looking for something from the Lord. When we put our focus on him, he, he knows what we need before we ask, he says. The Father knows what you need before you ask, Jesus told us. So, so we trust him. And, and more of our, when we really trust him, more of our prayer is not focused on ourselves. Our prayer is focused on him. Uh, the hymnist nailed the art of meditation when she wrote this. She said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, I mean, the, its problems, its worries, its wicked people, they'll all grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It works. But few of us practice meditation. Yet, I believe the best way to get your request answered is through meditation. Where you limit the gimmies and you just seek the Lord. It's exactly what Jesus said to the servant on the mount. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Don't seek the things first in prayer. Seek him first. Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Seek the giver of gifts, not the gifts first. And that's exactly what Isaac was doing that day. I have no doubt. And look what happened. Let's finish it up here. And Isaac went out to meditate in verse 63, in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. Why he was focused on the Lord. He lifted his eyes and he looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. 
For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. So she took the veil, which was her veil, which was a tradition in that culture, and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother's tent, Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Pays off to seek the Lord and seek the Lord first. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact you open your throne room up for us through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we can boldly stand before you on our face. And, Lord, we can, we can be in your presence. Lord, you live in us. You're right there all the time. If we just believe that by faith. Lord, if we really believe that by faith, we're going to become more focused believers. We're going we're gonna to take our focus off this world, Lord, and we're going to put it on you, at least for a while every day. Help us to become people who perfect this art of meditation, Lord. Not as the pagans do, Lord, or the secularists. Lord, help us to, to, to meditate in a way that's pleasing to you. Help us to focus totally on you. We just ask you to give us that grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And now pierced hands, a wounded side. This is love. This is love, the holy heart was sacrificed. This is love, this is love, I bow down to the holy one, I bow down to the Lamb. I bow down to the worthy one I bow down to the Lamb The Son of God He died for us This is love This is love He walked the hill, He bore the cross, this is love, this is love, I bow down to the Holy One, I bow down to the Lamb. I bow down to the worthy one I bow down to the
Lord's table, we don't come here just to read a passage from 1 Corinthians or to eat a cracker or to drink some grape juice. We come here to practice the art of meditation, to focus on one particular thing. And what's that thing? The God of glory nailed to a cross body broken dying there for our sins we come here to meditate on the Lord to remember what the Lord's done so that our hearts are full of gratitude for all that Jesus Christ has done for us Paul said for I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Lord.